we should start recording if we're going to talk about the like the Zoom jack off. Zoom jack. Because I because I have a lot of thoughts now. And I did it before, but like now I do. Oh yeah. And welcome back. You know, welcome back to another episode of the Discourse. You know, the less premiere show for all your election in Zoom and or Google Hangout related jack off news. Uh, all all that you could want and probably more. Uh, sorry for the hiatus. I had a, the stomach virus. Turns out you can get other kinds of viruses still besides Corona. <laughs> Newsflash. How's everyone doing? Still kicking? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's about it. Well, I feel I feel great. And it's not just because I don't have a stomach virus anymore. I feel great because the election is over. Oh, and, yeah. No, Gil, please. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Like, yeah, that, that it. The fact that there's no more like you can't have to stop talking about everything because you might endanger the chances of election. I thought that like passing was going to be a wonderful relief, but it, it still hasn't passed. It's still here. Yeah, there was a mild sensation of relief that was quickly followed by the realization that we still have Joe Biden to deal with. Yep. And and everyone's going to still make the same arguments about not being able to confront anything that the liberals have done over the past 20, 30, 40 years because you might harm somebody's chances. John Ossoff's in Georgia. I don't fucking know. I think the most frustrating from the standpoint of we have to live in this country, but interesting from the standpoint of we cover this shit um, is simply that I don't think the election's done. And here's why I don't think the election's done. And it's simply because Trump is a fascist and the Democrats are a bunch of, I'm trying to find a word that's not offensive, like it's not got misogynist overtones or anything. They're just a, they're, they're a bunch of bitch babies. That's the only thing that I they're can cowards. think of. They're cowardly. Yeah, there we go. They're, you know. They're very prone to showing their belly even when they don't necessarily need to, or there's no sort of like inclination you know, it, it's just their like natural instinct. Frankly, you know, I, I agree with you or I would agree with you, Adair. Well, I mean, I guess I should say the election's over. Uh, I believe most of the states that matter have been called as of recording and the president elect for everybody except for, you know, Donald Trump and a few of his remoreds is uh, Joe Biden, a.k.a. the people who are handling Joe Biden. Right. You know, congratulations to everybody out there. And so I'm feeling optimistic, actually. You know, in fact, I I mean, well, I mean, hmm. <laughs> this is uh, being recorded before Magapalooza in D.C. on the weekend. Just <laughs> I'm not sure how, <laughs> how that's going to go, but we'll go from there. So that's one of the things that I have a level of concern about. Right. It's not necessarily that. I think we're going to see some kind of armed uprising in the streets from Trump supporters. I think what we're going to see happen, and this is what I mean when I say I have some concern, <clears throat> is that I just don't, I think Trump's going to do everything in his power to slow things down. So then I think on January 20th, instead of coming in and governing like Democrats are supposed to do, they're going to still try to capitulate to Trump and Senate Republicans, even though Senate Republicans don't necessarily control the Senate even though they definitely don't control the house they're going to try to capitulate and make trump feel good and they're going to try to make trump supporters feel welcome and like this whole it's our country we have to be americans together and that's not really that's just not going to work especially in the climate where you've got uncontrolled spread of covid 19 in something like 47 out of 50 states people are running out of unemployment money are running out of off unemployment here in december and there's going to be nothing passed during the lame duck to alleviate that. You've got mortgages, you've got rent and mortgages still coming in for pe for working class people who are going to realistically probably be on the streets, uh, even more, even to a greater degree than they already have been. Plus, it's winter, and we already know right from the from the little bit that we know about COVID. One of the biggest fears in the scientific community is that the fact that it's winter is going to compound the already unmitigated spread that we're seeing, and it's going to really fuck up with uh, cold and flu season coming in too. So vulnerable populations are even more vulnerable, right? So these are all things I'm worried about. Well, you know, that's a good, exactly. And that's good broad strokes, you know, and I think you did a good job of laying out like everything that we should all be afraid of, you know, all the time. And you know, kudos for that, Adair. Uh, but you know, let's, let's sort of take these, let's sort of take this in bite-sized chunks. We haven't talked in a while. A lot of stuff has happened, even though it's only been like 10 days. Let's talk first about the election and the lessons learned or not learned uh, 
you know, as a result of Joe Biden managing to eke out a victory over Donald Trump, uh, far from the landslide people thought it was going to be, at least, you know, the landslide people were discussing it as. Well, the landslide that polling was showing was going to happen as well. The, the polling was off this year in great to a much greater degree than it even was in 2016. And, you know, we were supposed to see, uh, like you said, a landslide. We were supposed to see, like, there were Senate campaigns like Harrison versus, um, uh, what's his face, uh, Lindsey Graham. That was supposed to be close, and it was a complete blowout. Don't you know, the, Amy McGrath versus McConnell. Well, Amy McGrath was never oh. close to McConnell. That, that was the thing. Like, that, her, that was the part of the reason why they picked Amy McGrath. But Harrison, at certain points, was above in the polls. Even Collins up in Maine was never ahead in the polls. And, in fact, in some cases, she was down by 10. And she ended up winning. So what we saw was we saw a fundamental failing of the polls to actually capture what the, the mood of the voter was. And, at the same time, turnout that we haven't ever seen in my lifetime. We're looking at almost 70, over 70 percent of the electorate has turned out for the first time, literally in my lifetime. And like Trump got something like 70 million voters votes. And if it weren't for the fact that Joe Biden got four to eight million more, depending on how like the count ends up being, then Trump would have gotten more votes than almost than every president up until this point. So it's really quite something because we were told that this was going and should have been because the the handling of the pandemic, as Adair mentioned, the handling of the economy, as we know, like all of these things should have redounded to Trump and should have made him massively unpopular. But instead, because the Democrats couldn't ever settle on a message, none of this actually affected him and none of this affected his actual turnout. And so like when Adair says, I don't think that people are going to be getting into the streets with guns. I'm actually not sure. I'm completely up in the air on this. I see several scenarios that could play out. And, you know, it's it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the electorate as it exists that is in every part of the the part of the population that we rely on to predict, to talk about, to analyze these things. There's so much disconnect across the board that we are in really weird and uncharted territory. Like we're on this show, we've been closer at predicting what's going to happen than people who get paid millions of dollars. And that's not to say like, <laughs> oh, you know, some people like Chris Eliza who's a fucking idiot. No, like we're, we're no, say, doing pay us more. Ben- no <laughs> right, right. No, but I mean, like we're four guys who sit around and, and look at Twitter and read articles and, and know politics and look at political theory and analyze history. That's what we do for a hobby. And yet like 538 which gets millions of dollars has been fundamentally flawed in ways that we were not. And, and that's, that's a problem because it's not just 538. It's MSNBC. It's CNN. It's Fox. It's the New York times. It's the Washington post. It's the, all the institutions that were doing the polling, like at a, a institutional level, we no longer have an actual picture of what the electorate looks like. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned 538 and us deserving to be paid more. I don't want to, you know, pat myself so hard on the back, so much to self-congratulatory <laughs> behavior after taking such a long break. But I at least know what 538 is, you know, named after, right? Which is more than you can say for some uh, professional media pundits. So, you know, uh, you've come to the right place for your political analysis, right? I wanted to quickly uh, just touch on the polling, uh, just to clarify something or something in general, is that, that there was definitely something that was being missed in polling for national and the presidential race that skewed it slightly but depending on what you were following what averages and so on and so forth you they explained it away with margin of error which when you consider that it, essentially any election that's remotely close they're going to say that they're right because it's within the margin of error so it's not very practicable as far as uh, having any sort of functional identification that means that you can identify that it, the polls were right or the polls were wrong per se. Uh, but then they were out, well outside the margin of errors in particular state races, some of the ones that John mentioned and others around the country where they were just wildly off. And I think part of a significant reason of that was also what kind of John mentioned, which was an, uh, an unforeseen electorate, which uh, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, uh, people explaining, giving a lot of reasons for why the electorate was as large, but one of the key reasons that the electorate was as large as it was, besides the kind of political aspects, was the very f- 
fundamental aspect that there was an increased amount of access to ballots through mail-ins that were people that uh, would have had to normally go through an extra step of filling out an explanation or a reason to be able to get a mail-in ballot. Simply removing that barrier in court got uh, millions more people involved uh, across the country. Yeah, and, and Trump activates a, a part of the Republican base that normal previous Republican candidates have not activated as well, which we saw in 2016. I would have to say that I don't necessarily think they are within the margin of error. And I don't really agree with a lot of the reasons that they're coming up with saying, well, here's why we might we might have been where we were. because And the reason why I say that is because it rejects a fundamental issue that we are seeing, right? They're trying to say, oh, well, we were just off because, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's an un we had unprecedented turnout. Turnout, the unprecedented turnout should not actually affect, have affected that, right? If you're doing national polling, you have a big enough sample size that you should have relatively consistent data. You should know and be able to and prognosticate, right? Pretty, pretty accurately, here's who's gonna win. And we would assume by this much, given that we've done extensive polling nationwide. But here's what they didn't pay attention to. And here's where I think, you know, aligning your, having your polling be partisan, right? 538, as much as they want to act like they're not partisan, we know they're partisan. We know that they are DNC polling, basically, right? When you have partisan polling, you're going to see some kind of, you're going to see some different numbers. And with this too, right? This election, more than any other election in history, has been pointed out to be some kind of mass extinction level event of urgent, right? This They were all of the messaging from everybody on both sides, both Republicans and Democrats has simply been, if you don't vote, you are going to die, basically. Like they are, they posited that the world was gonna end if you didn't vote for their candidate. And so a lot of people felt that way, right? A lot of people really took that message to heart. And this is why the polling ended up being skewed for some of the down ballot things. Not to mention, right, just bad messaging, Democrats getting away from things like Medicare for all, getting away from things like eliminating uh, student debt. Those sorts of things played a big part of that too. But a lot of voters, when they got their ballot, all they focused on was the Trump-Biden race. They focused on presidential, the presidential campaign to the exclusion, I would assume, of a lot of Senate races because of the way that it was campaigned. Because it was campaigned on, if Trump goes, everything is better. Which to a lot of voters, especially voters who right. don't normally participate in the political process because of work, because of school, because of a myriad of other things, they don't necessarily know who the Senate candidates are. They don't necessarily know what their policy positions are. They don't necessarily know what's going on as much. So you're probably going to see a lot of down ballot turnout, but you're not going to see it as heavily along partisan lines. And that's going to fuck up your polling. And that's going to fuck up because of the way the Democratic Party operates. They did everything they could to get the presidency and everything they could to lose the Senate. And that is the exact outcome we got. And I think had we had better polling, had we had nonpartisan polling that actually went out and did their job, I believe that's the outcome you would have seen coming from a lot of the polls. If you just ask voters, how much do you know about your senator? How much do you know about the senators from your state? What, are their, what do they stand on X, Y, and Z policies? I don't think many Americans know. And I think you saw that reflected in the turnout. I, I agree with that. And one of the things that I, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but, um, you know, the, the takeaways that we've been seeing from the Democrats are kind of in line with what Adair is saying. You know, one of the big things is like, OK, you've got the CIA agent on a big call blaming the socialist label. I posit that she's just terrified that her CIA buddies are going to come put two in the back of her head because they f forget that she's not really a socialist. Um, but really, it, it's it's a matter of the people. They're trying to continue the grift. They're trying to continue the message that we don't need to change course. We're going to stay the course because Joe Biden won. Um, and yet they're trying to explain away the failures as they're the the 
problem of the left rather than a problem of the center because Joe Biden won. And it just doesn't add up because what you're seeing is you're seeing, like Adair said, down ballot measures that were massively popular, like $15 minimum wage in Florida, when Democrats are get crushed, except for the Democratic candidate that embraces $15 minimum wage and ran on it. She won. You know, in, uh, in, in Texas and Montana, two DSA candidates won. DSA had something like almost an 80% win rate, and that's in swing states. As uh, Ocasio-Cortez was saying, you know, every single person that she helped and who reached out to her, which was five people who were running for re-election, won their re-election campaigns. And of the, I believe it was eight or nine, who she reached out to but turned her down, they all lost. Every single candidate that ran on Medicare for All and went for Medicare for All in their messaging won. And every single candidate who ran against Medicare for All on the Democratic side lost. So what we're seeing is we're seeing the very first... And the clearest, and I do mean this, the clearest evidence that I've seen that we're moving in a leftist direction, not only in policy, but the electorate itself is moving in an ideologically leftist direction. And the Democrats are doing absolutely everything they can to throw that under the bus. And it gets to what we've been talking about on the show for a long time about them being the producers. But really, this gets exactly what Adair was saying, that they're actively seeking a way, it seems, to lose the Senate because that means they have to govern. And even right now, they have in Georgia, I think it's 73 percent of Georgians want an increase in how the government handles uh, government active involvement in how health care is given to the public, whether it's a public option or whether it's Medicare for all. And John Ossoff is running against it. It's like you could not have a more clear message that the Democrats don't really give a fuck about winning. It's all about making sure that they stay ideologically true to the donors that back. I was going to say, I think that people get really involved in like the horse race poll aspect of politics because it, you know it's a lot of build up once the election is over and like you get to the part where like the votes are being tallied after like you spent months hearing about how you know every vote counts and then you see how little every vote actually matters because it all comes down to like one or two counties it's impossible not to feel like it fucking it's fucking stupid like, it's super impossible, I think, for most people not to feel how, like, fucking stupid our elections are once they see it, like, broken down in those, like, big maps. Because after a while, it becomes like, oh, yeah, so you mean, like, most of these places are just not in play ever. Polling also, I think, serves as a cudgel. It's meant to feed into these narratives about electability, right? Like, oh, you know, you should be worrying more about, like, the strategic use of your vote by voting for the person who has the best, you know, probability or possibility of winning under a certain amount of metrics or rubric that we've decided are you know arbitrarily or not arbitrarily but we're in charge of like the variables there i was just trying to be hopeful i wanted to know what everyone thought about like our new president joe biden i feel like this is like for me i'm a slacker this is i this is a positive development i I think joe biden is like the slackers president he's run for president like three times everyone said no twice and then like everyone finally lowered their standards hillary clinton must be mad at fuck she's mad as fuck that people at 250,000 americans didn't die right before she ran for president right (laughs) one of the things that you see especially in that instance is like medicare for all wasn't popular until bernie made it popular it was a, a, a pretty unpopular idea and the public option was like 4951 it was right in that area until we had someone going out and every time he opened his mouth would just say medicare for all you know like that that kind of thing needs to happen and the democratic party as its function is just not capable and not interested in doing that because that's not how they make money that's not how they their their entire function of being is not orchestrated around that it's more orchestrated around what you said which is why now you have people saying, well, defund the police was an unpopular opinion, so we have to run away from it. And it's like, well, no, what the the slogan defund the police might have had more negative. But once you explain to people what defund the police means, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. That implies that when like 90 plus or 80 or some like majority arbitrary amount of people agree to something that our government just decides to do it. That's just not the case. We have infinite amounts of studies that show that's not the case. People just sort of assert it's the case whenever something that they don't like is you know deemed as not 
popular in the polls as a way to avoid having to make a real argument against it. That's just a way to project their, or rather to distance themselves from having, you know, from their own opinion by projecting onto, uh, you know, the public population that really can't be questioned or on why they believe it. And then when you say, okay, well, you can just convince the public of other things, that's treated as not really a thing that the Democrats are allowed to do. The Democrats, for sure, know what is popular. You know, they know what is popular amongst the electorate, and they still choose not to support it in favor of trying to, again, cobble together a voting base out of populations with incredibly disparate desires. They went out of their way, much like with the impeachment, to not offer people too much in exchange for their votes, just rely on the fear or the chaos or just like the material deprivation and mass death that Corona caused. And, you know, they sort of just skated by. Joe Biden was the skating by candidate. That's what everyone wanted him for, right? He was the guy who could just sort of like slide in there, you know, pardon the, I guess, double entendre because he's a pervert. They also knew that they were going to be facing where where we're at now, which is that if they didn't get a landslide, they were still just going to be banking on, well, see, look at the rules, look at the numbers, we won. Don't you guys respect facts and reality to Trump supporters and they were hoping that with a landslide, they would be able to win over more of the, uh, the kind of centrists and the people, the responsible Republicans or whatever you want to call them, the Lincoln Project folks, that group. And without it, they realized it was going to be a much more tenuous situation. And so, like, I think that triggered a lot of the anxiety for a lot of people as well. And that, like, knowing is like, oh, this is going to be a lot more stressful of a situation than I had been preparing for when I was bragging about, you know, how it was impossible for Trump to win and Biden was going to win in a landslide. And I was rubbing it in all the Trump supporters' faces on the social media networks that I harassed each other, we harassed each other on. But I do want to circle back to kind of what, where we started in that, you know, what are, what's going to be pulled away from this election and what... Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> one thing is... Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Well, other than that, well, Joe Biden is the most popular president ever because he got more votes than everyone has ever gotten so i don't know if people are fucking me when when they say that because everyone knows how that works so like i'm not gonna even explain that like you know people were laughing people were laughing when fucking trump said look i got the most votes yeah. except for the person i was competing with because that's fucking obviously stupid like, like that's just the way the whole thing works well uh, hillary actually managed to get less than obama in his peak i believe <laughs> well, yeah but only when you like adjust for like population growth and shit i don't even think with that like literally oh, less mm. people voted Oh, that's sad. Oh, yeah. you know, never, never mind. I guess that you know, that's well, that's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, there's always one, right? That's just embarrassing. Yeah, she was really that bad. She's mad as shit now. You know, Hillary Clinton's mad as shit. But that's the best part about Joe Biden winning. Hillary Clinton's mad as shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I have to find a silver lining, that is yeah. certainly one of them. <laughs> there are a lot of silver linings. I mean, like Joe Biden is not. Well, look. I mean, lead lining slightly tainting the drinking water. <laughs> So so here's so here's my thing. It's always funny when like Trump supporters are upset. That to me is always going to be funny. I always find that hilarious. Now, like there are situations where like the cause of them being upset does not directly benefit me, but I can still indirectly enjoy their meltdowns. On the other hand, you know, I think honestly there is potentiality here for people for like Joe Biden's presidency to wake a lot of people up in a way that a second Trump term would not have because like the whole go back to brunch mentality that people were constantly touting in the beginning of Trump's election. And then I think Obama mentioned in one of his like zoom, uh, like lectures that he gives to like his students slash dim voters. They know like the brunch thing again, you know, it's like you can't go back to brunch because they're going to close down restaurants again in a few weeks. So like, I think for the people who, usually are able to vote dim and feel better and because their material conditions hadn't really suffered under republicans before like are able to like oh yeah the world just seems brighter on you know january 21st 2009 now that obama's in the presidency you know it like are not are going to find themselves also on this steady trajectory down with most people right which is not something to be you know, you know maybe not as fast but you know for them, it's much more dramatic because, you know, they can't handle any kind of like pushback. Well, and the other thing is also, I think what 
we're going to see versus Obama was like Obama didn't immediately try to reconcile with um, the Bush people into popular culture, into the popular political um, space again. Like there was no welcoming anyone from the Bush administration on television in 2009. Right. And yet we've already seen day after the election, a lot of people in liberal spaces saying like, oh, we have to welcome the, the we have to psychoanalyze the president, give him space or, you know, we have to welcome some of these people that are obviously white supremacists back into the fold. And it's really quite something to behold. And I'm wondering if it's going to be a radicalizing event for a lot of these libs, especially considering, you know, they've been fed a steady diet of Russiagate for four years where these people are the worst people that ever walked the planet. They're all criminals. They're all need to be prosecuted. They need to be executed in the public square. And then when they're now giving paid speeches on MSNBC roundtable events, like what do you think that's going to do to a lot of these people? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a lot of liberals, frankly, uh, Change, wake up in any in any significant manner, right? Because that's the thing about liberalism, and that's the thing about American politics, uh, and why the Democratic Party and the Republican parties uh, as well can do can can campaign in the ways that they do, because it is exclusively about are you blue or are you red in America, and if you're a Democrat, it doesn't matter what Democrats do, you're going to support them. You're going to find reasons to excuse their behavior. And the Democrats look to give them to you. The Democrats will look to the Senate and say, oh, I know, you know, they control one portion of, of, of government and oh, we just have to, we can't do anything unless everybody's on board, right? And then we're fucked, right? We're fucked there. And I also am of the opinion uh, that a lot of the Democrats who's, who's like, I don't, think I don't think their material conditions are gonna get any worse. In all honesty, I think a lot of the kind of Democrats that we're talking about, a lot of the kind of liberals that we're talking about are people who have not had to really stress during the pandemic. They're people that can work from home. They're people that had significant amounts of money saved up to begin with. They're people that are actually going to suffer. Democrats want to suffer. Democrats actively have gone, and I've seen this right personally, from a lot of people in democratic spaces when I go to kind of try to cover and see what's going on, just keep, you know, stay with what's actively happening, at least in my own state, so that I know kind of what to see, expect coming down the pipeline. They're talking about, well, let red states starve. And by red states, they mean overwhelmingly the South, and there they overwhelmingly mean let black people starve because those are the poorest people in those states. White, and it, it's overwhelmingly white liberals, but it's Democrats as a whole, do not give a shit about anybody else outside of their ivory tower. And these people are going to be fine. The people that I'm actually worried about during the pandemic are people that voted for the uh, Democrat that voted for Joe Biden out of fear for Trump. My worry is for poor black is for poor black people in the South. My worry is for poor people throughout the United States because nothing is going to get better. It's going to get infinitely worse, Democrat or Republican, because you can or they've already set it up right. So Senate Republicans before the election were trying to set things up so that they could push austerity as soon as Joe Biden came into office. They said, if Joe Biden wins, we wanna be in a position where we can just push austerity measures and stop them from spending any money so that they lose the next election. And that's their goal, that's their plan. And it's gonna work. And people, real everyday people are gonna suffer, particularly those that voted Democrat, that voted by mail, that had the ability to do that this election that normally wouldn't have otherwise been able to do so. And I think we're gonna continue to see the playbook, right, from Democrats to continue to lose. Ossoff in Georgia is going to lose. He's going to lose his election. It is what it is. I don't know if the brother that's running in the runoff election, the special runoff election that's supposed to come around in January, whether or not he's going to lose. I would hope that he wins. Um, but you're going to see a lot of legislative defeats for Democrats, and you're going to see that really hurt people more than it did in 2008, more than it did in 2012 simply because right now we're going through a global pandemic and we've got about a quarter of a million people already dead and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have been kicked off of their health insurance, including yours truly, right? Just because of the way the pandemic is going and the fact that Democrats are ineffective unless it's making them money from their donors. I think it's a really important point that you raise about like uh, about being concerned about poor people because 
outside of Reverend William Barber the second or whatever, there's very few national people that ever talk about act, like poor people and and like the people that at the very bottom dregs of society, you know, the very most trampled upon and such and so it, it's always when Democrats and liberals use working class or Republicans use the term working class. They mean literally working people and they usually mean mostly middle income. And it's not about a, a class dynamic and ownership of uh, the productions uh, of the means of productions. It's about a kind of a vague middle class ideal that we've dreamt up in America. And then the other aspect I wanted to mention was just that, like, it's also uh, there's some 60th verse, same as the first, and that black people have been voting for Democrats overwhelmingly for 50, 60 years. And literally the economic gap between black and white people in America has not closed. And in some cases it's gotten worse. Segregation is the same or worse than it's been in the seventies in many places. And so like when people tell, especially black people, especially black women, (laughs) especially to, you know, be patient and, you know, accept these, you know, incremental changes and eventually, you know, progress is slow. All it's like, no, we're not making progress. Voting Democrat has not netted progress for decades, period. So any conversation about, you know, how we move forward has to deal and reconcile that fact and not treat it as though, oh, well, we have a black president. So, you know, things are getting better feeling wise. It's like, no, we were talking about the hard economic and, and social dynamics that are affecting everyday people's lives. And those have not gotten better for decades, despite overwhelming support from black people for Democrats. And that's why when the polling came in post-election, like Trump, uh, even beforehand, but also after, people who voted on the election overwhelm uh, on the econ- economy overwhelmingly voted for Trump because the Democrats run away from that messaging. They run away from any type of change for material conditions, especially for the people who they rely upon to be their bread and butter voters. And I mean, I want to point out, too, right, for a lot of people in America, the problem is the idea of working class, right? The message, the 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 picture that conjures up is not at all representative of what working class actually is. The reality of the situation is, is if you have to go to work every day, you are the working class. I'm sorry, I don't care how much money you make, right? You are infinitely closer to being homeless than you are to being someone that can buy a fucking factory that's gonna make you enough money to never have to work again. That's just where we are at in today's society. And so I specifically bring up poor people because I think that's the most ignored demographic in the United States. And it's something that confounds liberals to this day for what reason I don't understand, right? Um, But if you want to really affect change and you really want to consistently win elections, you have to talk to these folks. You have to say, hey, you're the part, like we're gonna make your lives better. We're gonna improve the material conditions of your lives and we're gonna do this X, Y, and Z. That's why Bernie Sanders' messaging on Medicare for All ended up polling so well. Not because it was some kind of magic bullet, but because he explicitly, and not just because he repeated it, right? But he came out and explicitly said, here's how your life is going to improve based off of this. uh, Based off of this. Here's how I'm going to make your life better. And that's the thing Democrats refuse to do because to them, they have to continue to sell this, the, the lie that everything is great that nothing has ever been bad and that, you know, America is this top-notch country to live in and not this decaying classic of an empire that it truthfully is. I was just going to say, and all of the, to do anything about any of that requires redistribution, which is anathema to everyone yeah. that funds the Democratic Party. Yeah, and the, during the 60s, you know, there was pushes for social democratic policy, not just in the United States, but globally, and a lot of Europe embraced those and, and developed them, and they are implemented now, so... It's not at like it was in the 70s and 80s during Reagan where, you know, it was it was they were a lot of them were in their infancy or still working out a lot of kinks and they could point to it and be like, see how much better America is. It's like, no, now we have these examples of things like universal uh, public health care that are being done well in lots of countries around the world and they're functioning. And so we don't they don't have that excuse to say, oh, you know, that that just induces collapse or it's too expensive or it's impossible or all those types of things. Or at least those arguments have less purchase with people that care to look into it at all. The working class is a fuzzy construct now because it just basically means whatever people sort of like want it to mean. It's become like the modern version of like the noble savage. But like for like white people in Appalachia, it's like just sort of like noble or redneck 
who's just like living off the lands, but also somehow has like five hundred thousand dollars in saving, like the Beverly Hillbilly, essentially. Like, like that's like what the working, <laughs> like, like that's what, like that's what the working class seems to mean to most people. Like just like you know, some kind of Appalachia-bound white family who just happens to have like an infinite amounts of disposable income. Just like a very fuzzy construct. But that that to me that feeds back into like the conversation about polling and how most of our like decision making is now at least in the Democratic Party based on like imaginary focus group politics, like things that are either like not verified or only vaguely verified by actual data. Uh, defining how people like engage with like like what things they should advocate for, or what, or rather, how people decide what things are and are not possible within like society, right? Because that's what we're talking about too. Like the Democratic Party has given up on consensus building, and so they use polls as a way to explain to people within their party who have theoretical ideals like why better things are not possible, and then they assuage their ego by saying, "But like, oh, you know what? Aren't you aren't you great though for wanting those better things?" not like all the other people who are preventing them i actually wanted to move you know you know i hate to say it you know we're in the midst of a coup you know i mean well america's always participating in coups but like we're just technically technically (laughs) i mean technically i would say we're in the midst of a coup people are still wondering whether or not uh trump will transition power peacefully under my interpretation he has already not transitioned power peacefully like like we've already moved past that point so you know, we're in the midst of a coup. Biden is the theoretically the president for now, sort of. How's everyone feeling? Uh, actually, I'm I'm kind of I'm on the fence because I really don't want to see the the ramifications of a coup. But I'm seeing a lot more of the Trump people start talking about how the voting machines we really can't look at the code and we have no idea what they're doing and i'm getting a little giddy oh no i don't i'm gonna come out first and say that i don't believe there well i mean there is a coup right it's like kind of how like drowning yeah. is defined by having water in your lungs so like we a coup is not defined by like a, its success right it's, it's, no no it's, it's a soft yeah, coup it's, right it's a coup now attempt. you know trump is attempting yeah. a coup you know we can all agree to that i don't think he's going to succeed because from my perspective no one's heart seems to be in it uh, his heart doesn't seem to be in it. It's kind of like, you know, well, A, COVID took the wind out of his sails. And now it seems like after he lost to Biden, he called all of his friends, called all of, like, the Republicans he knew, see who was down for, like, a coup. And the only people who showed up or answered his calls were, like, Rudy Giuliani and Roger Stone, right? But the rest of the Republican Party is kind of like, eh, I don't know. Bill Barr, sort of. Bill Barr seems like he might be kind of humoring him, but also might be down. He's like testing the water a little bit. He's like, all right, well, if this thing gets successful, then yeah, I'll jump on board. He's, but... He RSVP'd maybe to his coup. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> like, a, you know, I hate to say it, but a coup is kind of like a birthday party. Like they don't all require a lot of people to show up to have a good time, but most do. Right. So, and like, a lot of people are going to call at like nine o'clock and be like, yo, are there girls there? How much booze you got? Yeah, a lot of people like, are waiting to see who else shows up to show up as well. And so, like, it seems like Trump couldn't really make a compelling case for helping him with his coup from all the people who you need to really do a coup. Because, I, I mean, it was never in my doubt, I think, that like Trump was a sore loser who would try to like manipulate his ability to influence the election in a way that is amoral and probably illegal. My question would was like, I mean, and maybe I said it, maybe I didn't. Like, no one who you would need to actually stage a coup, a successful one, seems to like Trump, and Trump doesn't personally have the administrative skills to do it himself. Like, the only people who seem to like so, him are like, I mean, I just like, most people who seem to really like him are like, and at least in like law enforcement and military, are like the yeah. low level chuds, like the your you know your beat cops who are all crying because he lost now. Well, I would say that it's actually almost every single law enforcement agency across the country loves him. When you get to the federal level, that's where they start to drop off, except for ICE. So you that's where you run into the problem. Even in the military, I mean, like firing Esper and putting in his old people at uh, defense is uh, probably because they were like, yeah, we're not going to let you do this. Um, and, and whether that was an overt or just like a, a subtle signal to him that this is not the way to go about it. For whatever reason, he started replacing upper echelons of defense, and that's that's kind of worrisome. But the, the uh, based on what we know about the the underlying defense uh, and military, they're probably not going to go along with a coup like this. Oh, for sure. I mean, part of that too is just like I don't know people 
at least in my interpretation, like always bringing up like, what if he doesn't leave the White House? And I'm like, is that a real question? Like they just tell him to. Like they, the Secret Service they, drags the, the him secret, out. The yeah. Secret Service like tases uh, Don Jr. <laughs> or the one that looks like Jake Busey, and like Trump just like walks out of his own accord because he's not going to like stay there, right? I mean, I think this is not like King of the Hill. You don't you don't get to be president <laughs> if you stay on the thing. For me, I think a lot of the coup talk was you know influenced by two things. The first, like people just not really knowing what a post Trump or a post President Trump political landscape would look like like what would trump do because like ultimately everyone knows he's not going to jail deep in their heart like they know like there's no chance that there's really going to be any fucking like accountability because that went out the window way long you know before with like george w bush and not looking back there reagan no i mean well yeah even then before you know i think the last vestiges were put to bed when like uh obama was just like nah we're not doing anything about those like all that torture we're just gonna like let it slide so, like, that's just not going to happen. So, like, the prospect of, like, Trump just, like, leaving the presidency after, like, terrorizing people who, like, mattered, quote unquote, for four years with no consequences just didn't really make any sense to a lot of people. Like, oh, you know, he's just going to, like, what, go on Fox News every day? And from my perspective, he's just going to go down to, like, Mar-a-Lago and be, like, the winter fucking, like, court of fairies. Like, he's going to be, like, the, you know, the anti-president, like, the, like the other pope. When there was like two, I think he's going to buy OAN and he's going to run OAN. So like, I think that's what a lot of not to go on long. I think a lot of the people like the media, Twitter, like right wing media grifters who are still hanging on to Trump. Because I think a lot of like the, you know, more established right wing media have already abandoned him. Like the Post and Murdoch have abandoned him. It seems like Fox News is kind of like on their way out, too. But like you're, you know, random Internet trolley people who are still like sticking along with the conspiracies as like I, I think they expect that like post president Trump is just gonna be like a media brand that they can still feed off of. Like that there's gonna be you know a few key, you know, media figures who can still feed off of Trump for the long haul while the rest of, you know, the right wing media sort of reincorporates itself into the Republican Party's like post Trump reawakening slash rebranding. I mean, to that respect though, the question of like what this kind of like you mentioned before, John, that Trump brings a lot of people into the Republican Party that weren't there before. Like, you know, there is going to be, I would imagine, a substantial contingent of the Republican Party who are listening to Trump right now. Trump is never going to concede. He's always going to maintain that he was cheated for one reason or another, who are going to see the Republican Party establishment as having given in to this like fraudulent election and might be disenchanted in a way that causes them to like fuck off to do something else. How big of the Or it could cause them to do another Tea Party. Could do I mean one or the other, right? I think it really depends on what like what Trump does after the election too and like what that looks like i'm just really super excited because two possibilities are on the horizon or three possibilities are on the horizon that were probably not on the horizon with any other president but they chloroform well, the pres the ex-president no, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> chasing his 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 ass out of the law he, can't law. Just he, has, like, he has bad lungs after covid <laughs> right <laughs> see can't tase him either my man still is still breathing heavy he was on the lawn like i'm not gonna <laughs> and i was like damn can anyone get this man some clenbuterol like this is the president what happened to all those like those hippo steroids they were giving him for his lungs like that fucking oh, like that fucking like uh elephant pregnazone well, now they're pumping Ben Carson with him. So. Yeah, I mean, like that shit is a gift that keeps on giving. I mean, I don't know. I, all I can say is that if well, Trump... Let me get to my three points. Well, though. just my first point. This is about black people. If Trump kills both of his, own, his only two black friends <laughs> like, with COVID, <laughs> that's going to... Like, yeah. That's his like, parting, like, uh, you know, America tradition. That's going to be fucked up. It would just leave diamond and silk. Yeah. But please, your yeah. three points. There better be three. My three points. So three things. There are. So the three things I Four think that we were closer to... Sorry. Right that we're closer to now than we ever have been with an American president is pardoning Julian Assange, uh, actually investigating black box systems of voting. And um, the other one is releasing classified materials just to piss off people who he doesn't like. So like releasing the JFK files or something along those lines or, or whatever's left over for MK, from MK ultra, like declassifying all that shit. He could just do that in a fit if they try and force him out. Exposing the globe delusion and, you know, explaining yeah, that, explaining yeah, that exactly. we live on a, a flat plane. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. They Exposing NASA. Shut the fuck up on that. I fucking big globe. I will say, though, I mean, 
I have a second point. I have a second point, even though John had three. I think the second point why people, you know, I, it's not a contest, but because Trump was terrorizing them and because Trump, they felt Trump was uniquely bad for them, they suspected that Trump or assumed that Trump was uniquely good for a lot of the people that like they and also we hate like the military industrial complex, like, you know, the security apparatus, the people who want to go to war with Iran, etc. And I think the truth is a little bit more dire, but, you know, obvious when you unpack it, which is that like Trump, despite being bad for large segments, you know, uh, markedly worse for large segments of the population, you know, to the point where people could justify voting for Biden over Trump based solely on like just that distinction, you know, does not mean that he isn't like basically indistinguishable in segments or on issues that matter to a lot of like, segments of the population that we just think are shit right like you know the military just doesn't perhaps does not see a sufficient distinction between like a trump and biden presidency to their bottom line you know neither does like boeing or any of like the private companies who would have to be online with that kind of shit too before just to clarify i wasn't saying that you know like the you know the work from home class now before they were called just like the vice president class you know that their lives are going to be hard just that they're going to be inconvenienced and like they hate that like that's the worst in death for them when it comes to covid though it's like i think that we've forgotten that the news just radically shifted from covid news a few weeks or months ago to be totally about the election and now once the election and the coup shit is like finally settled it's like they're gonna have to pivot back to like the covid news and i have to imagine that a large portion of the population just does not realize how bad things actually are right now and things are terrible because it's just been out of the news for like weeks because it's been like debate, debate, Trump gets COVID, debate, debate. Well, it's like uncontrolled spread in New York City now. And, you know, they're saying, oh, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to shut down the bars at 10 p.m. instead of leaving them open all day. That's what we're going to do. That will stop it. It's ridiculous. But it, it's literally uncontrolled spread in everywhere. 40, I want to say 47 to 48, 48 now. It's 48. Yeah. Like we are. The entire United States is handling this poorly, and that goes if for those of you who haven't followed the discourse throughout the um, course of the pandemic, we've talked a lot about it. So I'm not going to get into why it's it, it's like that, but it is absolutely going to get infinitely worse, and it's going to do so exponentially quickly. If I remember when we were like thinking about what we were going to do when it seemed we were just like looking at the situation and what the U.S. was going to do just before the second wave and just like, yeah, we're just going to push through it. I didn't really think that we were going to just keep pushing like this. And I think part of what's so concerning is, well, we are testing more. And so we're seeing more of the infections that are out there than we were earlier in the pandemic. Hospitalizations have also peaked above their their highest peak before. And people aren't going to the hospital for for laughs. Like if you're getting hospitalized for COVID, it's because it's serious. And so if the hospitalizations are on par, that means that it's not just a result of an increased amount of testing, but also a result of just a lot more of uh, critical infections taking place around the country. And as I said, it's 48 out of the 50 states that currently. Well, I think Wisconsin is afraid. Currently, they're saying they're afraid that they are going to be, you know, their hospital capacity is going to be, you know, outstretched coming this winter, you know, partially because of all the events. that. Well, even North Dakota is out, has, is out of beds, which for a lot of people, it's North Dakota. So in their mind, it's not a big deal because it's not a largely populated place. But when we're looking at these infectious disease models, I think it's important to look at states like North Dakota, the South Dakota's of the world, looking at the smaller population areas because you're gonna see those areas get overwhelmed a lot more quickly than you will. Uh, places like, I don't know, you know, New York or Washington or California or Florida even, right? But those places are also going to get overwhelmed at some point if nothing changes. And so we need to look at North Dakota to see how to respond now. I was just going to say they'll avoid infections longer because they're more isolated than a place like New York. But once it gets there, once it's in the community, it can spread across the entire community very rapidly. I think it's just well, to I mean, kind of I think, elaborate. Well, I guess, I mean, what I'm hearing is that New York is at a tipping point, right? Which, I mean, sounds about right because everywhere else is has uncontrolled spread. The de Blasio coming out and saying that they're going to close fucking gyms at 10 and close the just 10 just fits into the larger pattern of like 
people like de Blasio, politicians, Joe Biden, the Democrats, they love to come out and pretend like it's all on you to solve this problem. Like the only thing that de Blasio could possibly do is reduce the hours these places are open because they have to be open because there's no possibility of relief. But everyone else has to just like, you know, behave more responsibly in any absence of government incentives. Right. I mean, I think that's exactly why people were for I mean, people were surprised or were expecting the election to be a blowout, too, because like they were expecting people to just come out and behave rationally, given, you know, what they were seeing from COVID-19. Right. That Trump mishandled the uh, pandemic. Two hundred fifty thousand people are dead. And so rationally, you would expect that people would come out and vote for his opponent. From my perspective, as somebody who uh does not like the Democrats and does not like Democratic voters. Democratic voters think they're fucking geniuses because they compare themselves to Republicans. And so, like, a lot of times, I think leftists see Democrats and, like, liberals as, like, compelling thought partners in some sort of, like, leftist project. And I don't think that Democrats are as smart as they think they are. I think they are about as smart as Republicans. I think they're just different types of dumb. Just like there are different intelligences, there are different types of dumb. And, you know, just generally speaking, like Republicans, you know, anything that's they're not indoctrinated within schools, they don't believe or they don't want to hear about. Yeah, they tend to excel at technical expertises, but not necessarily like, yeah, like you said, the multiple intelligences, they, they're a different kind of dumb. But even so, like we're relying, like we were talking about the errors in polling, even their technical expertises fall to the problem that we're running into like a meritocratic Habsburg syndrome mm -hmm. where they're, they have this massive nepotism network where they really are failing up over and over and over again. So even their technical expertise need to be called into question. It's like, you know, why we talk about constantly, why do we trust the New York Times when they're constantly printing factual errors? Well, part of it, yeah. I think, is the technical expertise is based on or is has become increasingly based in their ability to replicate what people, what they're supposed to say rather than what uh, is ob objectively observable. And so it, they bend their observations to fit the, the framing that it needs to fit rather than f changing the framing to fit their observations. I mean, that even goes back to some of the issues with the prison abolition thing and also just any unpopular opinion and how it gets framed by like center, center left, like media pundits or media platforms, you know, insofar as there, there are any. It's like a lot of that kind of politics, you know, as informed by their socioeconomic class as opposed to like whatever ideology they ascribe to is just like symbolic. And it's meant to signal to other liberals or other people within that space that they're morally and intellectually correct. And so, like, while they don't mind or they take it as a badge of honor that they have, like, the Republicans out there as their foil who don't believe in racism and don't believe in climate change, you know, when it comes to you know, the utility of their beliefs, they don't exist outside of the interpretation of other people. And so like, yeah, they can believe in things that are generally very popular amongst their other fucking like amongst like their other liberal friends, but like they don't actually have a ideology or value that is like distinct from that kind of social positioning so it's like yeah you know abolish the police is not popular with enough liberals well then you shouldn't say it because then people won't know that you're smart and good they're always doing a delicate balancing act where like they, you know they can't have any principles that are too unpopular it's always about what's plausible and what's fucking like popular enough to be recognized as smart and uh morally righteous amongst mm -hmm. their friend base and so you know like well fracking is you know bad but well, speaking of fracking, right, and this is a personal anecdote, so again, take this with a grain of salt, I've gone into these spaces and I've talked to Democrats who are ranking members of the party who do not understand what we say when we say we need to end fracking, who genuinely believe fracking is beneficial because Joe Biden said so. And because Joe Biden said so, a lot of the other people in the Democratic Party are like, well, if Joe Biden says it's right, well, then it must be right. And, you know, they don't want to listen to anybody that's not inside of their circle. They don't want to listen to any messaging that could ever potentially say they are actually on the wrong side of the issue. That's why you see so much Democratic pushback from the actual demands of people saying Black Lives Matter. It's why you see so much pushback against the Green New Deal. It's why you see much, so much pushback against the branding of Medicare for all, right? These are all things that in, in the democratic circles, in these really insular, tight-knit communities of people that have 
probably gone to college, but most of them ended up majoring in like fucking business, right? Who are mid-level bankers or whatever, think that they must know more because the person that they like supports these things and they have to be smarter than everybody else in the room, regardless of whether or not they have the qualifications to uh, make that claim. Well, as somebody who has watched every episode of Magic School Bus, Bill Nye the Science Guy, Beekman's World, <laughs> and Mr. Wizard, I feel I'm qualified to apply. <laughs> 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 oh no i mean i i, I think you're right and i i think the expertise is uh an important aspect and but not so much it i think there's a it's a double-edged sword in that we need to rely on expertise but not defer to expertise and then also unqualified expertise and so like the professional punditry is a good example. These are people that are paid a lot of money. So capitalism says that these people are good at their job and they're uh, in prolific positions where they're well known. So society says these people must be consciously aware of what they're talking about. But then we have, you know, the 538 thing from Joy Reid or, you know, a variety of like the New York Times printing airs and just failing on basic editorial aspects. And so there's. It, there needs to be a critical process involved where we uh, observe and analyze this information and then reconcile it with what we see in society and what we see, what our own observations are and then what we, observations we see at a larger scale beyond uh, isolated communities, whether they be scientific or political or whatever. And so I agree with that to an extent, right? So I will say this. Question scientists, right? Ask us questions. And I think anybody that's listening to this that is a scientist... I think even uh, Brandon, who's a social scientist, would agree, we're happy to talk to you about our area of expertise. We're happy to give you as much background as we can. And so I think you should absolutely always ask questions. I think where it becomes frustrating is the absolute and outright dismissal of someone's expertise. I think that for the most part, people don't know how to ask the right questions because people are not taught critical thinking. You can't teach people not to like draw patterns, but you can yeah. teach them to draw the wrong conclusions from shit. And so people don't even know how to look towards institutions to find where responsibility lies. They even falls back to the election, right? In the aftermath of Joe Biden not getting the landslide that they expected, the first thing people could think to do was like, look at the exit polls. Who's to blame for this? Like who didn't vote properly? Like who didn't vote like the polls said they were supposed to vote? You know, who didn't fit the algorithm, right? It's not that the polls were wrong. It's not that the, our pollsters are shit, right? It's not that like they, the people weren't offered anything by democrats it's an activity of like trying to find the responsibility in the individual voter or individual subpopulation just like the individual subpopulations that are responsible for still spreading or not adhering to covid populations uh rules right because that's the new thing now too like the new clever thing is whenever there is like a mass gathering you don't agree with to go like i th I thought we were doing social distancing not anymore and it's just like okay you asshole yeah and now the liberal fucking like fence sitting is like shitting on like liberal gatherings or like leftist gatherings but like in reality it's like people don't even know how to look to the people who are responsible for you know incentivizing proper behavior or incentivizing the outcomes that they want because it's just it's just accepted that it's everyone else's job to just behave responsibly for no reason because it's the rational thing to do it's the rational consumer model applied to like the social order I see the republic I see the election of Joe Biden as having the possibility to accelerate us towards a, a reality where people understand that democratic party is just going to mean more nothing once they realize that COVID-19 is not going to go away once Joe Biden is just sworn in but like Adair said I think there's a real possibility especially when you look in the context of like people blaming voters for not voting for Joe Biden hard enough that people are just when things don't go through properly are just going to forget that it's the Democratic Party's responsibility to get policies passed and start going like okay well who in like the left is talking bad about Joe Biden, which means he doesn't have enough power and a mandate to get these things passed. We've just erased these people from the conversation, is what I'm trying to say. In a coronavirus-laden world, that just means more and more people are going to die in droves because, like, there's nothing that can be done about coronavirus at the individual level. You could because people just can't be expected to socially distance themselves with no fucking uh, support from the government. And I just want to say, you know, in closing, 
teachers should be teaching kids to slack off, not jack off publicly at work because that's because that's the one lesson that like kids are not learning today in schools that you know you know this is like goes back to what richard was saying and like one of the things that people gloss over because i don't really care like i i don't work there it's the big it's the long and short of it but like you know the real answer to the question of like what should be done if you accidentally get caught jacking off at work is like a don't do that don't get caught jacking off at work that's the first answer. But B, it's like that kind of obscures the fact that you don't have to jack off in front of your computer. Like you, you can just go somewhere <laughs> else.